Word, we're going to turn to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse number 12, and it is incredibly ironic to me that Sister Regina and the praise team sang what they sang before I came up because I don't know if, did you know the title of what I'm preaching tonight? Okay. 2 Samuel, chapter 2. And I'll begin reading in verse number 12. It says there, And Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahananim. And Joab, the son of Zuah, and the servants of David, went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. They sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then there arose and went out, and there arose and went over by number twelve of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and the twelve of the servants of David. And they caught every one of his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side, so they fell down together. Wherefore that place was called Helkath Hizarim, which is in Gibeon. And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab, and Abishai, and Azahel. And Azahel was as light of foot as a wild roe. And Azahel pursued after Abner. And in going, he turned not to the right nor to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou as a hill? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left, and lay thee hold on one of the young men, and take thee his armor. But as a hill would not turn aside from following of him. And Abner said again to Azahel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab, thy brother? Verse 23, Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner, with the hinder end of the spear, smote him under the fifth rib. And for all my medical people, you know what lies underneath the fifth rib. The heart. It smote him under the fifth rib that the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to that place where Azahel fell down and died, stood still. And I want to, with the help of the Lord, preach to you for a little while tonight on this thought. Having the kind of armor that gets you home. Having the kind of armor that gets you home. Mighty God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of God that is in this sanctuary today. And Lord, I am so honored and blessed to be able to stand here. And I pray, Lord, anoint your word tonight, God, and anoint the voice of your messenger, Lord, to be able to, to deliver the word as you would have it delivered. Lord, open up our hearts, Lord. 
Open up our ears and our minds to receive it. We give you praise for tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Can you give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're seated tonight? In our text, we read the story of what the Bible calls the, the Battle of Gibeon. Abner had compelled Joab, one of David's mighty men, to meet with him and bring his men for a time of, of fun and games, a time of sport. And Joab and Abner would each choose 12 men to represent them in their games that day. It all started under the pretenses of fun and games, and, but Abner, the, the uncle of King Saul, he had other motives. He was in opposition to David being the king of Israel, and so therefore he disguised the games in such a manner that some would not suspect that they were ulterior motives that had actually been planned. Some would not suspect that Abner had actually planned to kill Joab and his men. However, Joab became keenly aware of what Abner's plan was to become. Each man began to battle one another, and when they knew that the ruse was up, eventually each man grabbed his sword and he thrust it into the side of the other, and the men fell down and laid there dying. Abner knew at that moment that he was defeated, so he took off running like a madman. The only problem was that Joab had a brother named Azahel. And Azahel, the Bible says that he was light on his feet. In other words, he was the opposite of me. Azahel was a man that was able to run. And let's put this in, in southern vernacular. Azahel was able to pick him up and put him down pretty quick. Azahel was fast. He could run. He, he was able to move like, like no other in, among David's army. And Azahel was so focused on revenge against Abner that the Bible says he never looked to the right, nor did he ever look to the left, but he was so focused that he kept his attention directly on Abner. <clears throat> Abner knew that someone was gaining on him, so he yelled out. He said, Azahel, is that you behind me? And Azahel said, I am coming after you, man. I am after you. It is me. It is me, Azahel, the one light of foot. And Abner then began to yell back. He said, Azahel, if you're going to keep chasing me, you better stop and get some armor. You better be prepared because if you're not, something's terrible is going to happen to you. As a hell, he began to act as if he didn't even hear Abner that day. He, he was so focused on revenge. He was so focused on something that he really didn't need to be focused on that he didn't even consider the armor. In an unfortunate turn of events, the Bible tells us in verse 23 that Abner turned his spear around. So in other words, he didn't point with him with the spear end, the sharp end, but he turned around the blunt end, the stick end of the spear. And as, 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 as he was running up to him, so focused on getting to Abner, not having any armor, the Bible says that Abner turned the spear around and he ran it in between the fifth rib of Azahel and he killed him where he stood. 
He pierced him. You've got, folks, we've got to begin to imagine the amount of force that had to go into the fact that the blunt end of a spear went through the chest of a man between his ribs and dropped him dead where he stood. That let me know that Azahel was running like you would not believe, and Abner ran that thing so far back that when it hit Azahel, it destroyed his heart. Something to be said about having on the armor. There's something to be said that makes sure when we go into battle that we have the kind of armor on that we're going to be able to make it home. Because on that day, Pentecostals of Dothan, as a heel, did not have on any armor. He didn't have the armor that was going to allow him to get back home. He died where he stood and he never made it home. It's been documented that during World War II, more than 43,581 Allied planes would be shot down by enemy fire. The losses were so great that the experts agreed that across the board it was statistically impossible for a serviceman to survive a 25-mission tour of duty in Europe. There was a 100% chance that servicemen would die if they were slept into battle too long. So the U.S. Navy began to, solve, began to seek a way to solve the problem, and they took their best and their brightest, and they put them on the project of finding what do we got to do to get our planes back home. The Navy tried to determine the best places for them to armor their aircraft. The first phase was research. They, they began to determine which portions of the plane were most susceptible to gunfire. The idea was that if they could determine those areas, they could reinforce them with armor. And so they began to compile data about planes that had been in battle. Clay, if you could put that next slide up. So the data that they began to compile, the servicemen on the front lines began to send it all in as they collected it, and they recorded the number and placement of every bullet hole on every plane, on every airfield in their arsenal. The Navy then took this information and plotted it out and created the chart that you see up on the screen tonight. On this chart, every red dot represents a pockmark or a bullet hole. It shows the most common places where a bullet would cause damage to an airplane. The wingtips, the central body, the elevators. All of those were places where the, the aircraft had taken damage. When looking at this chart, the... And looking at these numbers, the military personnel over the project quite logically began to think that these are the areas that we need to reinforce. These are the bullet-riddled regions on the airplane that, that need to be well-armored. The wingtips, the central body, the elevators. We need to reinforce them with extra armor so that we can make sure that our planes come home. After all, the armor needs to go where the most damage has been done, right? But there was a statistician over the project, a man by the name of Abraham Wald. And Abraham Wald came into the meeting room that day and he said, I emphatically disagree with your assessment. And they said, Mr. Wald, how can you say that? Because we have the data that this is where these planes are getting hit the most. 
And he suggested the exact opposite of what they were planning. And many men thought that he was out of his mind because they had the data that said this is where the planes were being hit. This is where they were taking the most damage. And he, he, he tended to tell them, he told them, he said, listen, he said, I believe that where we need to put the armor is on the nose, the engines, and the mid-body. Basically, Wald was saying everywhere that isn't hit on the chart is where we need to reinforce the armor. Because the one thing that Mr. Wald realized was something that the others didn't, that all the places that weren't hit represented planes that had been hit in those areas. They said, Mr. Wald, what do you mean by that? We have the data to show. And he said, you're not listening to what I'm telling you because Wald determined that these areas were not marked or represented because they were areas of critical hit. And as a result, those planes never made it home. These planes, they crashed before they were ever even counted. These planes, they were unrepresented because they had taken a critical shot in a critical area and they could not survive it. Wall realized that planes were getting shot in those unmarked wide areas, but the difference was they never made it home to be counted in the data. And because they didn't survive, because they didn't make it home, they were not counted in the sample. Wald realized that if the nose of the plane was to be shot, it would go down and wouldn't be counted. He saw that if the engines of the plane were shot, it would go down and it would not be counted. He realized that if the mid-body of the plane was shot, that the plane would split in two and it would go down and it would not be counted. All of the planes in the sample, all of the planes in that study, all of the planes that had been counted were ones that had gone out and had been hit in those marked places, and thankfully they had come back. But unfortunately, they did not get the adequate picture of the true nature of the airplane, the air battle casualties. The Navy wasn't looking at the entire sample. They were only looking at the survivors. While the Navy thought that that what they had done was to identify where the airplanes had suffered the most damage. The truth of the matter is that what they actually discovered, it was determined where aircraft would, could, could suffer the most damage and still survive. They found the places where the airplane could take the most damage and still survive. If they had gotten distracted shoring up all the non-essentials, they would have kept losing planes. If they would have armored up the wrong places, they would have kept losing planes even still to that day. But thankfully, the Navy took Wald's idea into consideration and they began to put armor in the places that he recommended. And, and almost immediately, the planes stopped going down as often as they were and the survivorship rates shot up. And the tide of the war, World War II, turned in the favor of the Allied powers because they put the armor in the right places. It wasn't just about the armor, church. It wasn't just about the plane. It was about placing focus where it needed to be. You see, Azahel was so distracted that day he was so focused on the wrong thing that he neglected the armor, and in doing so, he jeopardized his life. 
We've got to make sure as a church that we don't get caught up in all of the distractions around us and we're placing armor in the wrong places. We've got to make sure as we enter into 2021 that we don't get caught up in the distractions of this world, that we don't get so focused on things, that we don't get caught up in the periphery because we have to understand that we've got to put the armor in the right places. If we get so caught up putting armor in the wrong places, church, we are going to be a casualty of war. The problem is we get so focused on the periphery. You know what? It doesn't matter who places their keister in the seat in the Oval Office as a president. That's irrelevant. That has no bearing when I understand that Jesus Christ is still on the throne. I don't have to worry about who's president of the United States. But when everything I am gets so focused on that, and we're so concerned about all that. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be concerned about who's president and you shouldn't vote and all that. Do your civic duty. But what I am trying to get us to understand that when we put more focus on who's in the White House than who is in the throne room of glory, then we're putting our armor in the wrong places. When we're more concerned about dominion software and a voting machine than we are understanding that Jesus Christ has all dominion and power and authority and he holds my life in his hand and as long as I put my faith and my trust in him, I don't have anything to worry about because I know that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and I may not understand every step he leads me, but he's gone to where I'm going and he's walked back and grabbed me by the hand and he says, David Goodwin, come on, my man. We can make it. I'm not saying those things aren't important, but we can't get so distracted. We've got to be armored up in the right places so that we can make it home. Don't let me get distracted by armoring up my wingtips when I need to be focusing on my engines. I'm not saying that those areas are not important, but wingtips can take a hit and can survive. But if I take a hit in the engine, I'm a dead man. I need to focus on armoring up the areas that are going to get me to my destination. I need to focus on having the kind of armor that's going to get me home. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 13. He says, brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. In other words, he said, I have not made it yet, but I am well on my way in getting there. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. In other words, I'm cutting out all the things that are going to distract me. He said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. You know what? Every single one of us here have a past. And some of those pasts are pretty muddy and dirty and gory. But if you've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you've been buried in Jesus' name and you came up out of that water and you've been filled with the Spirit, I'm here to tell you tonight that whatever you used to be has no bearing on what you can become because God took a man named Saul, he turned him into a Paul, and two-thirds of our New Testament was written by him. So you know what? Don't get, if you get hung up on your past, you're putting your armor in the wrong places. 
You can't focus on who you used to be, only what you can become. Because once you put that under the blood, that is exactly where it's at, and we need to leave it there. Quit letting the devil pull up who you used to be and thank God of who you're becoming. Be proud of who you are today. And if you're not satisfied where you're at, you're not a tree. You can pick yourself up and move somewhere else. You can change who you are. Don't be satisfied with where you're at. Do not die where you are right now. Don't let your armor get shored up in the wrong place, but you allow the Spirit of God to begin to do incredible things, and you say, Lord, I need you to armor me up. Armor me up where I need to be. He said, I'm getting rid of all those things behind me, and I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. I'm moving forward. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And all of that is well and good, and that's where we typically stop. See, Paul keeps on writing. He says in verse 15, Let us therefore as many as be perfect. That word perfect there means to be complete, to be mature. It means growing in God and gaining ground. He said, As many as be perfect, be thus minded. And watch this. If in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Here's what the Good News Bible says. It reads Philippians 3.15 this way. All of us who are spiritually mature should have this same attitude. But if some of you have a different attitude, God, he's going to make it clear to you. That we've got to understand we can't get caught up in things in the past. See, I'm here to tell somebody that today we need to armor up. But in all of our armoring and in all of our equipping and all of our working and in all of our preparing, you know what we got to do? We got to be praying. You can't put on armor without prayer. See, prayer is the rivets that hold the armor to the body. You can't expect for the armor to lay to stay on if you don't put the rivets. And so you got to have prayer. And that's more than, Lord, I lay me down to sleep, I pray my soul to keep. No, there's got to be some calluses. There's got to be some tears. I remember when I first started coming to church in Dothan, I was 13 years old. It was 1987. We had these wood altars. And you could tell when somebody had a breakthrough because those altars, and I know you remember this, Brother Harrelson, Brother Patterson, I know you remember this, that, that those, those altars would get stained with the tears. And you knew somebody had a breakthrough. It's hard to see that sometimes on carpet. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that we are praying and we're seeking God. And we need to be willing to hit our knees and say, God, search my heart. Search me and know me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Search my mind. Search my soul. If there's any impure motives that are there, Lord, remove those things. And God, if there's any unclean thing in my spirit, I need you, Lord Jesus, to reveal it to me. Anything that has become a distraction. Because, see, I don't need to be focused on placing armors in the wrong places. Because I've got to have the kind of armor that's going to help lead me home. I've got to have the kind of armor that the songs that the praise team were singing 
before I got up tonight to be able to sing those songs because I'm on my way to heaven and I'm going to a city and soon and very soon we're going to see a king. See if I don't have the kind of armor that's going to get me home. I can't sing that kind of song. Isn't it amazing how many times the world tries to tell the church what's moral and immoral? Isn't it amazing that everyone else has an opinion about what the people of God should be doing? But just like it was with Abraham Wald, it doesn't matter what everyone else is saying about the armor I need. It doesn't matter what the rest of the crowd or even the higher-ups may say about the armor. It doesn't matter what people say about the armor. It doesn't matter what the numbers say about the armor. It doesn't matter what celebrities or talking heads may say about my armor. It doesn't even matter what conventional wisdom say, hey, seems to say about my armor. What matters is do I have the kind of armor that is going to get me home? My theology does not come from a politician my theology does not come from somebody in Hollywood. My theology does not come from people who do not believe the apostolic message. Come on, somebody. We need to understand that here tonight. If we're looking in other places other than an apostolic pulpit to get our direction, to get our doctrine, to be able to understand how we're going to get home, we're in the wrong places. We are placing the wrong kind of armor in our spirit because we cannot get to heaven without apostolic truth and apostolic doctrine. I can't afford a shot or, or an attack in a critical area. Devil, you, you can have a shot at my happiness. Anybody felt like your happiness has taken a hit this year? You've received some news you didn't want to hear. You've been diagnosed with something you didn't want to be diagnosed with. You've had some financial hardships, some marital problems. You've had some problems with your kids or whatever the case may be. Maybe your happiness has been hit up a little bit. Devil, you can take a shot at my happiness, but I'm going to armor up my joy. You know why? Because you can't have my joy. You may be able to steal my happiness, but joy cometh in the morning. Hallelujah. Joy is something that the devil cannot take away from me. You may steal my happiness for a moment, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah. Because joy is going to be something that gets me home. Happiness is just for the moment, but joy is going to be something that gets me to the other side. Hallelujah. I may struggle now. I may struggle today, but joy is going to be something that gets me to the other side. Hallelujah. You can take shots at my finances and my health, but I'm going to armor up my faith because my faith will be able to stand the test of time when I am broke and destitute, when my body is broken and I am weak and weary and I don't even have the strength in my soul to be able to lift my hands, but because my faith is strong in the Lord, devil, you can take your best shot. I may limp my way into heaven. I may be broke when I get there, but I will make it to the other side because my faith is strong and determined in God. You can take your best shot at my plans and my goals and my dreams. 
but you cannot touch the dreams that God has for me because Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you. When even when you didn't even understand the plan of God yourself, he already knew the steps you were going to take. He already knew the plan. So don't get frustrated when you walk in a direction and you don't understand where God may be leading you because he knows the plan that he has for your life. Because ultimately... He is still in control, and he will get me home. You can take your best shots at my home, devil. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's been times, Kenzie said it, she said, Daddy, you always say something about us in your sermon. I had to stay true to who I am. But there have been times that I was worried for my children after we left. And if you remember, I, I, I requested everybody, please pray for my kids. And can I tell you, I appreciate those prayers because I've got two kids that love the Lord. They love the kingdom of God. They are ministry-minded. And if Kenzie wasn't 14, she probably wouldn't be so afraid of getting up and she probably would have played a song tonight, but she's like, Daddy, no. I mean, y'all a little bit bigger crowd than what she's used to. But I made up in my mind when my kids were small, Lord God, whatever I do, please don't let me fail my kids. Lord God, whatever I do, let my kids be saved. They've got to make it to heaven. Because it doesn't matter how big of a church we build in the city of Hoover. It doesn't matter how much money I build up in the bank. It doesn't matter where we live or what we drive. If my kids are lost, I have lost it all. Because I can gain the whole world, but if I lose my soul, my children, my family, I've lost it all. Men, women, whoever you may be, whatever you do, don't you sacrifice your family for things down here. Don't you sacrifice your family for a job. Don't you sacrifice your family for, for, for popularity or whatever the case may be. It's not worth it. It's just kingdoms made of sand that are going to come crumbling down someday. And we need to make up in our minds that we are going, men, we've got to save our kids. We've got, to, we've got to be there. And maybe some of you are here tonight and your children do not live for the Lord right now. You know what? As long as you can bend your knee and you've got breath in your body, your child still has hope. As long as you can still go to the Lord and call their name out in prayer, your child still has hope. If you're here and you're a young person and your parent doesn't go to church here, you know what? I was the same way when I was 13 years old, that I was the only one in my family that walked in the doors. And before my mama died six years ago, she was baptized in Jesus' name. She was full of the Holy Ghost. And one of these days, Brother Harrelson was talking about that great getting up morning. We're going to have a family reunion. I'm going to see my mama again someday. As a church, sometimes we get so caught up on making the grounds look good, so caught up on making sure that our presentation when we walk through the door is on point. And we spend so much time doing all of that to, point, to the point that we neglect the prayer room. We neglect fasting. We neglect the Word. 
Folks, we got to understand that people don't get the Holy Ghost because we have cool banners in the parking lot. People don't get the Holy Ghost because we have a nice greeting station at the front door. And don't get me wrong, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That's all well and good, and, and we hope to be able to have that in Hoover someday. There's nothing wrong with all that. But see, people get the Holy Ghost. People's lives are transformed in an apostolic church because of what happens in a prayer room, because of what happens across the pulpit, because of what transpires during a worship service, because we are firm in our doctrine. In other words, it's because we put armor in the right places. I don't want to get distracted dealing with the periphery in those less important areas of my life to the point where I am not doing what God calls me to do. I'd rather place my focus on shoring up those places that are going to keep me flying straight and get me to the destination that I'm determined to make it to. I better make sure that if I'm going to armor up that my doctrine is armored up. You know what? There is only one God. I don't care who tries to disseminate it a different way. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is only one God. You need further proof. Go to Isaiah chapter 43, 44, and 45. There are some incredible scriptures in there. We can even look into a scripture we use all the time around Christmas. Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We've got to understand that our salvation is only through the name of Jesus. Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Baptism is only valid by immersion in the name of Jesus. People get caught up in, but what about all the, the baptism by sprinkling? I'm, I'm not going to go into all this. This is pastor's job to be able to teach you all doctrine. But the word we use for baptism is baptizo. It means immersion. Now, we know that baptism is a New Testament aspect. But they also, there was a baptism that occurred in the Old Testament, and that was when they sprinkled the altar with the blood. That word there and the word sprinkle that is in the Greek are not even the same words. They don't even mean the same thing. To use the, a New Testament version of baptism that we use baptizo, those that believe in sprinkling use the word rantizo, and that word is not even the New Testament at all. So where are you getting that from? Well, the Old Testament. Well, we're supposed to believe in the New Testament salvation. Now back to where I'm supposed to be. We are to live holy and separated lives. I better make sure that my prayer life is armored up. I better make sure that my worship is armored up. I know it's been different in a COVID year. When COVID shut down the church in Pell City, where we have been attending since we moved, we were confined to our homes, watching church services online on Facebook. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you say, 
You cannot have church on Facebook Live like you can have church in the church house live. Especially when you're like the poor good ones who are living in a third floor apartment and you've got an 85-year-old mamaw and her 60-something-year-old son living underneath you and they live in a museum. And the first time you get the, you get the, do-do-do-do-do-do, they're banging, man, I wish y'all'd move. I mean, I'm not praying for Mamaw to die, okay? Don't think that. Mamaw's a sweet lady. And I don't even know the guy's name downstairs. He's in my phone. His dude downstairs. If you don't believe me, I'll show you after church. It says dude downstairs. My wife, I think, knows his name. I think his name's Dan or something like that. But you can't jump and shout like you want to do in an apostolic service when you live in a third-floor apartment. And some of you live in apartments, and some of you are in places that if you did that, your neighbors are going to be like, man, what is wrong with those people? And they're crazy. The guys that live across the hall from us, um, they, they live an alternative lifestyle. And we're kind to our neighbors, so my wife's baking cookies and candy and all that, and... We had put a note saying, hey, you know, if you ever need prayer, we can pray for you. Them dudes, dudes sent the note back and the candy. We're like, man, we don't want that, none of that Jesus stuff. Well, apparently they've seen all the other neighbors getting candy, so now they take the net candy, but they don't want the note. But, you know, it's, it's But See, we've got to make sure that our worship is armored up. I know it's been difficult, and, and, and it's been a little hard as we've come back into the house of God that maybe our worship's been a little limited, but you know what? 2020's about to be over. And I'm not saying that everything's all of a sudden going to change on January 1, 2021, but you know what? We need to make a determination in our heart. Maybe my worship's got a little weak this year, but I'm going into the new year with some new worship, some new focus. I'm going to make up in my mind that the devil may have stole a little bit from me back in 2020, but I'm going into 2021, and I've made up my mind that I'm going to have the kind of armor that's going to get me home. We better make sure our holiness is armored up, too. Oh, come on, Brother David. Holiness is so old-fashioned. Yeah, holiness is old-fashioned. But so is vanilla ice cream, and it's still the number one flavor of all ice creams. So can I tell you this? Holiness may be old-fashioned, but it is still right in 2020 and 2021. People looking godly, women looking like women should look, men being godly and, and looking holy in their attitude and how they present themselves is still right in 2021. But you got to remember, it's more, it's, it's, holiness is more than how we look. If you're so focused on making sure everything looks good on the outside and you're not concerned about the condition of what's on the inside, then you're not armored up right. You can take a Ferrari body and put it over a, put her over a Yugo all day long. Some of you young folks don't even know what a Yugo is. You can put it over a Yugo all day long, and guess what? It's still a Yugo with a Ferrari body, and it's not hitting 0 to 60 in 1.3 seconds. It might hit 0 to 60 in about four days, but what I understand is this, is that if you're so focused on the outside that you're not concerned about what's on the inside, you're just like that Yugo Ferrari. Holiness is still right. The devil's going to do everything he can to limit your ability to put the right armor in the right places. 
Because if the devil can't destroy you, his next approach is he's going to distract you. He's going to get you caught up in politics. He's going to get you caught up in Hollywood. He's going to get you caught up in church problems. He's going to get you caught up in COVID. He'll get you tied up and tangled up to where you're no longer effective, to where you can no longer reach a city. I believe in helping the needy just like everybody else. I believe in helping the down and out, and it's a part of what we do as a church. But also know this, the hell is not scared of the first apostolic food bank. However, I do emphatically know this, the hell is scared absolutely to death of an apostolic church stepping into the identity and the authority of what God has given them and called them to. When we are walking in apostolic authority, what does that mean, Brother David? It means this, is that you know who you are in Christ, that you walk in that authority because he has given us that authority to be able to walk in this world and to have dominion and power and authority. That when somebody comes to this altar, we can lay hands on them and take dominion, power, and authority, and the Lord God Almighty can heal them. We can walk over here and somebody is battling spiritual oppression and we can lay hands on them and take dominion and power and authority and the Lord God Almighty can deliver them. We can walk over here and somebody needs deliverance and they need the Holy Ghost and we can lay hands on them and take spiritual power and dominion and authority and they can begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. That's arming yourself up. Brother Patterson and Brother Josh McNeely preached it so well this morning about the love. If we can't love those who are less fortunate, if we cannot extend grace and mercy, then we're, we're not who we say we are. See, grace goes beyond the concept of it is the unmerited favor of God. That is our pat answer. But grace goes and says, you don't deserve it but I'm going to give it to you anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. We say us, but put your name there. Christ died for David Goodwin. Ask yourself this question. What do I need to do to get myself home? You know, my 401K, as much as it's a blessing, it's not going to get me home. Keeping up with the latest trends, may, maybe they can shore me up in society and maybe make me look a little popular, but they're not going to get me home. Having a fancy house would be nice, but it's not going to get me home. Having an excellent education is well and good, but it's not going to get me home. What good is getting all of those things for my family and I don't make it home? So let's go back to our plane analogy for just a minute. I can have the best paint job. I can have the coolest call sign, the shiniest clear coat, the best specs. I can have the best radar system. I can have the best technology that money can buy. I can have all of the best artillery and I can even have the best pilot. But if I go into battle... And I'll have the right kind of armor. I am not going to make it home. There are going to be people that we all know who are going to go out into battle. And unfortunately, 
they're not going to make it home. We can look even today in this church that there had been some casualties, that they went out into battle and they were not armored as they should have been. And they're not here. Thankfully, as long as they still have breath in their body, they have an opportunity, but we've got to get them back to the repair field. We've got to get them back to the altar. We've got to get them back to a place where they can once again have that intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reason that a lot of people are not going to make it home is because they didn't put on the right kind of armor. They chose to refuse, to refuse the call of God. They failed to submit to pastoral authority. We all need a man of God in our lives. We all need a pastor. I don't care who you are, how long you've had the Holy Ghost. I don't care if you've been living for Jesus since Moses was in diapers. You need a pastor. People who resist to obey the will of God. People who forget to pay, pray. People who harden their hearts and they make excuses rather than reasons. They, they end up going down in the middle of the battle. But see, I must make it home. And I have to ask myself, what's going to get me home? Where do I need to armor up the most? Because I don't want to get hit where I least, when I least expect it and get shot down. I've got to put... I've got to put aside weights. Hebrews 12 and 1 tells us to lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Every weight and every sin. It's easy to understand laying aside sin, but what about weights? They're not the same thing. We understand sin and what it is, but what are those weights? We know those weights are those things that aren't necessarily wrong. They aren't evil in and of themselves, but they're distracting. They hold us back. They slow us down. They keep us from being effective as we need to be. If somebody right now was to come up and hold a gun to me and say, I need you to run from here to Publix, If you're going to live, well, shoot me now. Because guess what? I'll be 47 in February. And while I'm not as large as I was when I left Dothan, y'all, I was almost 300 pounds. I'm below 260 now. Some of you don't believe it, but, you know, it's, you can get over it. Either that or my scales are lying to me. But if somebody was to tell me that you've got a race and they put old Nathan Harrelson up here against me, I'm just going to tell them to shoot me. Because guess what? I know for a fact Nathan can make it to Publix before I can. Even with a gimped up knee, he can get there before I can. Because I have some weight that is so easily besetting me because I'd be setting too much. But if I'm going to make it, I've got to get rid of the weights. Weights are not the same for every person. They're different. They're, there's different things that hold you up. It may not hold me up. Your vice may be something that holds you down, but it's not something that holds me. But you've got to figure out what your own weight is so that you can make it home. And as I'm coming to a close, I understand this. Every one of us must invest in the kind of armor 
that makes it home. And the best way to do that is to echo the command of Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins, learns, mm, having your loins girt about with truth. That's amazing. That that's the very first piece of armor that Paul mentioned. Because everything we are as apostolics hinges on truth. It hinges on the word of God. And just like those Roman soldiers, when they would begin to piece together their armor, the belt went on first, and the breastplate would be anchored. It would be tied to the belt. The scabbard for the sword would be tied to the belt. Everything hinges on truth. The truth of the gospel. The truth of salvation. The truth of the epistles. And having on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So let's go back and let's look at it. At Abishai. He wasn't armored, and it was fatal. And if you're not armored tonight, saint of God, I am fearful that you may very well find your place in a place of fatality. We should have the mindset, Lord, reveal to me all of the places that are not covered and protected as they should be. Not the wingtips, not the body, not the elevators. I'm not talking about the peripheral, the extra, the distracting things of this world. Let those things, let them take care of themselves. But Lord, I'm not so concerned about those. I can take a hit in those areas, but I can still make it. But oh God, whatever you do, please God, don't let me miss a critical area in my spirit. Don't let me miss a critical area that needs to be covered like my holiness, my doctrine. Don't let me, don't let me miss a critical area like my prayer life and my worship. Don't let me miss the armor of obedience and faith. Don't let me miss the armor of having a vibrant relationship with you. Don't let me miss the armor of getting into your word and studying it and knowing what it says for myself. Don't let me miss the armor of knowing your voice and being sensitive to the moving of your spirit. Because, Lord, I need the kind of armor that's going to get me home. Sister Regina, if you could come. When I look across this congregation, I see people who are full of pockmarks and bullet holes. 2020 has been rough on some of us, and I see people who are battle-scarred, and I see people who have been in this battle, and even though your life may be all shot up and you look like that slide that 
Brother Clay put up there for us. Some of you walked in here tonight and that's how you look. You're just saying, I don't know if I can make it another day. But can I tell you, you made it to the house of God. And your life may be all shot up to pieces in your mind, but you took shots in places where you could still make it home. You're still here. The devil thought he had you, but you're still here. The devil thought he had you dead to rights. But yet, your engine's smoking. Your wings are all shot up. And you're flying low to the ground. But you came into an apostolic church tonight. You know why? Because maybe you don't realize it, but you've got some armor in the right places. Maybe your armor's taken and beaten and it's time for a replacement. All that tells me is maybe you just need to make your way to an altar. And maybe you just need to let your armor be repaired and replaced. For those of you that are struggling today, when's the last time you checked your armor? I think as we all stand across this congregation here tonight that maybe as we begin to talk to the Lord that we begin to ask him Lord what areas in my life have I, lo- have I lost valuable armor what areas in my life Lord have I got unguarded and unprotected because Lord I need to make sure that I have the kind of armor that's going to help me get back home Lord don't let me have any exposed areas in my life Dear saint of God, I'm here to tell you that I know the pain and I know the struggle. But when you have the kind of armor that helps you to get home, you can weather the storms. You can endure the hardship. And as we begin to pray all across this congregation, if you need to come to the altar, these altars are open. If you need to shore up some areas in your life, these altars are open for you. Mighty God, Lord, I know that, Lord, it's been hard for some, and I know that we have faced and endured some hardship and some struggle. But we know tonight, Lord, that you are sovereign. And, Lord, you're able to heal, and you're able to deliver, and you're able to work, Lord, in all those weak areas in our life. And I pray, Lord, here tonight. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and my sisters, Lord God, that today that you would move in their hearts and help them, Lord Jesus, to strengthen up those areas so that they can have the kind of armor that's going to help them make it home. In Jesus' name.